It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 4th, 2016. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is back tonight. Dad, welcome back. Jacob, great to be with you. Good to have you back with us tonight. And behind the controls tonight, uh, Josh McCord is here. Josh, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. And we didn't get a mic for Nick. Oh, we got to get one. We'll, we'll do that one. during the break. <laughs> From Jenny's far, I just looked over there. There's no mic for him. We can't Nick hear can't him. talk if he doesn't have a mic. No, we'll fix that up during the break. Uh, but uh, we'll look forward to talking to him. We'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And in the chat room, if you're uh, signed in there watching us on our video feed tonight, uh, just sign in the chat room and chat with other listeners. Look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Jacob, we still got up on our uh, homepage at collegeview.com. We've got the uh, video and audio from our recent community Bible study. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably move that pretty soon to one of the back pages, but it's still right up prominently on the front page of our of our website, collegeview.com. So people can go there, listen, download. You also made it available on the podcast. It's on the podcast, yes. Uh, so a lot of people can have access to Steve Klein's lessons. We talked about the Christian and his vote. So if you haven't heard those, you need to. Really good stuff, and uh, you won't be sorry you spent time listening to that. Tonight, I thought we'd do sort of sort of a follow-up to that idea. You know, a lot of people are talking about this upcoming election, and we don't really talk about the election or voting in the election, but I've, I've had people ask me about, you think God's using this election? You think God is going to to produce an outcome in this election one way, you know, that the outcome of this election will be either for the good or the bad of the country based upon God's providential, uh, leanings in the matter. God, you know, how does, how does, how would God do that? Uh, uh, are we going to get a bad candidate that will, that will produce the, the continuing or maybe ultimate demise of our country because God's punishing us. I mean, that's been the question I've been asked more than anything else. You think God will punish us? We'll get a really bad candidate. Our nation will just sort of go from where bad to horribly bad. And, and, you know, that's just God working providentially to punish us yeah. because we deserve it. Right. You know? Uh, that's the kind of questions people have been asking. So I thought we'd kind of talk about God's providence as it relates to nations and nas- nations and their affairs. All right. Look forward to that. It is a pertinent discussion. I think you're hearing that question. I, I, where I, I've heard folks saying, well, it appears that God's with one candidate or another by the way things are happening. And does it, so is that valid? Uh, what do the scriptures teach us about how God deals with nations? Yeah, so that's that's our topic for discussion tonight. Uh, and earlier today, to our update list, we sent out some questions that we hope to try to cover uh, in our discussion tonight. If you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. We'll do it. Uh, sometime uh, late morning on Thursday, you'll get an update from us telling you about the topic for discussion 
and asking some questions. Here's the questions we put out today. What is providence? And does God work providentially? Yes. Number two. Well, I didn't ask you for the answer. I was, yeah, I know. It sounded like the answer. I was just agreeing with your question. Sorry. <laughs> you already answered the question. Okay. okay. No, number two. How can we know if God is behind certain developments and events? Okay. Number three. Specifically, does God work providentially in the affairs of nations? If so, what are some historical examples of this? Number four. What can Christians do in conjunction with God's providence to help move our nation in a positive direction? All right. We'll look forward to your comments on those questions. If you've got any comments or questions, send them in the chat room or give us a call. Look forward to hearing from you tonight. Now, let's start out by talking about providence. We have talked about this on the Virtual Bible Study in the past. It's been a while since we've talked about providence, but I think it really is an important, I think, quite interesting Bible topic. Uh Providence suggests the idea of God working and, and doing things, bringing things to pass. Uh, it can be to punish people or to to uh, bless people, uh, but God working to bring about events, uh, working. And, and the difference is it's not miraculous. You know, we know God through the history of time has worked miraculously to make things happen um, the ultimate of course no doubt would be the the coming of jesus the messiah and his his virgin birth and all the events of his life his death burial resurrection now those were miraculous things and we believe them we believe them all we believe every miracle that the bible describes uh we have great confidence in bible miracles and god certainly worked miraculously but we believe now that that god is not working miraculously and when we say that, then some people say, well, you just think God just turned his back, walked away. You're limiting, you're limiting God. Yeah. yeah, you're limiting God. Well, we're not limiting God. God is the one who said he's not going to do that anymore. But that's not to say that God is not working in the world today. So when we talk about providence, we're talking about the non-miraculous working of God, using natural events, people, and circumstances to affect his will, to bring about to pass what he wants to happen. Uh, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia. Kent is becoming a regular contributor. Yeah, Kent, and, thanks. Uh, I like that when he, yeah, his comments are good. He says, a proper definition for the biblical concept of providence would be God's support, care, and supervision of creation from the beginning to all the future into eternity. A proper distinction needs to be made between that which is miraculous and that which is providential. The miraculous ended upon completion and confirmation of the plenary, verbally inspired word of God. So, uh, Kent would say it's God's support and care and supervision. That's hey. how he would describe it. But he would make that distinction that it is not miraculous. Right, right. Jeff in Columbia put it this way. He says, providence is a term that is used to describe how God is working in our lives and answering our prayers and is something we are unable to prove at the time. As for if God does work in, the sa- in this way, the examples are countless. Texts that reference his providence to his creation, Job 38, 41, Psalm 104, 1 through 35, Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16. Psalm 147, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 14, verses 26 and 27. Matthew 10, 29 and 30. And Acts 17, verse 24. Thank yeah, you, lo- Jeff, for those, those comments. Those are great. And I actually had some of those. Uh, good, good list, Jeff, of, of verses. Let me just read some of them. Some of the ones that Jeff had, some of the ones I had on my list. Matthew 5:45 He maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. 
Well, cause of the, the sun rising is a natural event. That's not, that's, that's according to the laws of nature. Rain forms and comes down upon the ground. But we know the process. It's not a miraculous process. But it says, this says that God is the one that makes it happen. And that goes along with Ken's idea of support, care, and supervision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Acts fourteen seventeen. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Here's, here's a couple of the ones that Jeff mentioned. Psalm 147, 8 and 9. He covereth the heaven with clouds. He prepareth rain for the earth. He maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew 10, 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So, you know, uh, we see him working in physical in physical creation we see him in physical creation doing things bringing to pass things that benefit us and, and that's the idea of his providence he's working to cause these things to happen for our good all right if you have any comments look forward to hearing from you in the chat room uh, certainly the scriptures do teach as just as countless examples of providence in action today and certainly uh, god is working providentially Others that Jeff had, I had some of the same ones on my list, but, uh, um, yeah, you, you and Jeff were singing from the same song sheets. Yeah. First Peter three twelve. the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Uh, Hebrews 13, five, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them, they're called according to his purpose. Uh, I think that probably talking about more about spiritual things than physical things. But just a lot of verses talk about the fact that God is is involved, that God is active, that God is working to bless and provide for and care uh, for his children uh, and and to bring to pass things that will benefit them. But on the on the negative side, I think we're going to see, especially in regards to nations, that God has brought to pass things to providentially punish those who oppose him. Mm-hmm. We'll see that here when we get more, more so when we get talking about nations. But clearly, uh, God does work providentially. There's no, there's no doubt. Now, the, the follow-up to that question was, how can we know if God did that then? If God does this stuff, and the Bible clearly says he is working, how, how do we know when he did that? Right, and uh, that is a difficult question to answer. It's a one that throughout time people have struggled with. For instance, in Esther chapter 4, uh, verse 14, uh, Mordecai here tells Esther, for if you hold your peace at this time, there shall uh, an enlargement uh, deliver, uh, then, then then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And notice what he says. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Yeah. So, I think that's the classic verse about um, providence. Who who knows? He says. No, you can't say for sure. Uh, I think Mordecai was pretty sure that God had put Esther in that position as queen so that she could effect the deliverance of the Jews. But he wasn't sure. He couldn't say. He says, who knows? 
you know, that things sure look like they're lining up yeah, like yeah, God yeah. has a finger in this. But he couldn't say with certainty. Yeah. But what he did know was is if you don't do this, then God will bring deliverance some other ways. But it, it may be that you're in the position that you're in so that you could do this work. But he couldn't say with certainty. And that is the very nature of providence is that we cannot say with certainty uh, uh, whether God is working in that way or not. All right. Uh, you know, even the inspired Apostle Paul had the same problem. Exactly in right. Philemon, uh, where he's talking about Onesimus. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he wrote to Philemon, who was the uh, slave owner of Onesimus, who had run away. And he was writing basically to get Philemon, the, the slave owner, to take his servant back and receive him without harsh penalty. Uh but near the end of that really short letter of Philemon, he said, uh, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self beside. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Notice, but withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that... Through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. Uh, well, he didn't know for sure. He he had some confidence that he was going to be released, but he wasn't certain he was going to be. He's, he's telling Philemon, be ready, because it, it looks like I may be released. I'm not sure. I can't say for sure, but be ready. Uh, the prayers may be answered. That's right. And also, uh, as he's talking about uh, the departure of Onesimus as he ran away and fled from the slavery yep. there in verse 16 that uh, verse, the, the, verse 15 I think. Yeah, yeah as all these things have worked out but and it looks like it's a really good situation all suggest that it was providence yeah. but he didn't he, say with certainty he said for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him for, perhaps he couldn't say with certainty you know in other words look how this had worked out onesimus ran away from his master philemon but he met up with paul in rome while paul was a prisoner there apparently became a disciple under paul's influence in rome and rome sent, and, and paul sent him from rome back to philemon uh and and he says perhaps it was you know this was all according to god's working but but even paul even the inspired apostle paul couldn't say with certainty we see God. God definitely did a neat thing here. And that's an important distinction to make because I know Christians who, if it works out good, if something works out good, if maybe someone's soul is saved, they immediately stamp providence on it. Oh, yeah. and definitively, this was providence. So look how it worked out. It was providence. Yeah. Paul didn't do that. Just because yeah. it worked out good, he yeah. didn't stamp providence on it. Oh, that's a good point. I, I, I had a sister one time... Uh, uh, come to me after a sermon, and it just so happened that this individual that several of us knew and had been trying to influence, he was not a Christian, is not a Christian to this day. In fact, he's an atheist. But it just so happened that he visited our services on a, on a given Sunday morning, and the sermon was really appropriate for him. The, the sermon just just happened to to really hit that what he needed to hear. And this sister came to me and said, I just love it when the Holy Spirit does that. What? How, how would we know that the Holy Spirit did that? Paul know? didn't know. Paul couldn't say. He's an inspired man. He couldn't say. Onesimus sure. was saved. Yeah. It, and he said, well, perhaps it was providential that it worked out this way. Yeah. 
So we got to be careful about that. Yeah, I think we got to be you you the by the very nature of providence you cannot say with certainty that that's what's worth. I but but now just as a, a, a sort of a qualifier here, I think all of us in this room and all of us who who believe in God could probably write a list of things that have happened in our life that we believe were God's providential blessings. But you couldn't prove it in a court could, of law? Couldn't prove it, and there's really no benefit in discussing it. I mean, we can have personal confidence in these kind of things, but we certainly can't make a testimony uh, of those things that, in the hopes of convincing others, because we can't prove it if we had to. Yes. We need to have faith that God is working providentially, and yeah. that he's promised he's going to take care of us, and that's about as far as we can go with it. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going to get a break. When we get back, uh, we'll get your thoughts. Hopefully, we'll get well, some thoughts from Nick. Yeah, we'll get a mic for Nick so he can okay. give us some thoughts. All right. Don't go anywhere. The Worship Bible Study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Success in marriage is more than just finding the right person. It also requires becoming the right person. A man is rich according to what he is, not according to what he has. Man, wish I'd said that. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight. And Nick, are you there? You are there. I hear you. Yep. You can hear me breathe. I got you. Yeah, all right. Glad to have you here, Nick, and I uh, look forward to your comments. Uh, you two, we haven't looked in your direction tonight. Any comments so far? Josh? Uh, you know, my thoughts about the providence are, uh, just like Greg said earlier, you know, I think a lot of people think God is just like, uh, you know, you know those toys that you wind up and they just do their thing. A lot of people think God's just wound up the earth and set it in motion and set back and it's all doing its thing. But God is still alive and he's active and he's working. But like you are saying, it's hard to it's hard to put a finger on when he actually is doing something. We, we have confidence in him, but he's alive and he's active today. Nick? Yeah, I think uh, God God is not revealing to us how He's doing things in our day and time, but we do know that He's in in power and He is ruling over everything on the earth. I, I thought about the sister you mentioned in Hebrews four and verse twelve. Just the nature of our sermons will usually uh, get into th- the thoughts of people. You know, Hebrews four twelve says the Word of God is living, sharp, powerful. It's sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yeah. And when we preach it, it's going to affect people's thinking yeah. that's in our audience. Sometimes people think, well, you made that lesson just for me, well, and I didn't even know they were going to be there. That's right, that's right. <laughs> but that's the nature of the Word of God. It fits people. That's right. I think you're right. All right. All right. All right. So, um, well, we've answered our first couple of questions, just a little bit of background on providence. Uh We've talked about what providence is. We've talked about the fact that God certainly does work providentially. 
And we've also covered the fact that you don't know. I think that's a really key thing. You don't know. You can have confidence. You can have faith that God is working in in important ways for our well-being. But you can't say with certainty and you can't you can't prove it. Yes. By the very nature of providence. All right. Now to to the thing we really want to talk about. Does God now? We've been talking pretty much about individuals when we talked about providence. But does God providentially work in the affairs of nations? And I think the scriptures uh, are pretty clear uh, that he does. Um, let me read a couple of passages here. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight: For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Daniel 2 is a powerful statement. Uh, remember, Daniel had been called to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And he told Nebuchadnezzar, the great Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, he said, he's speaking of God. He says, he changeth the times and the season. He removeth kings. He setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So it knows Daniel credited God with changing, removing kings, setting up kings. Well, clearly he's in the affairs of nations if he does that. Chapter 4 of Daniel, verse 25, the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. That's a, that's a very plain statement, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, Proverbs fourteen thirty four, righteousness. Here's the general rule: righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Well, how would righteousness exalt a nation if God wasn't blessing that nation for righteousness? How would sin be a reproach on a nation if God wasn't punishing nations for sin? It seems clear. Uh, Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Yeah. Pretty plain. All right. All right. Um, quickly, we, we skipped some comments from Jeff and uh, Kent tonight on uh, how do we know if certain events are providential. Just go back here just a minute and catch these. Kent says, when we read about events recorded in scriptures... We can, by the information provided to us, deduce that which is providential upon the basis of inspired writers interpreting providential events. In our day, it is very difficult to dogmatically state that something is or is not providential because we do not have inspired men to interpret a providential event for us. God obviously does indeed work providentially today. However, because the very nature of providence is God working behind the scenes, making it difficult to ascertain if something is providential or non-providential, not only must we understand the difference between the miraculous and providential as rec- events recorded in the scriptures, we must also remember that God never works providentially in any way that would be contrary to his divine nature or his inspired word. Neither would he work providentially in negation of the freedom of human will. So thank you for that, Kent. And then Jeff says, uh, Luke 18, 1 through 8, God instructs us to ask him and talk to him about our problems and, tell the impor- and tells the importance of, of persistence. So we can know that God does care for us, but as Kenneth said, dogmatically putting uh, a providential uh, explanation to an event is uh, difficult, if not impossible, for us uh, to do at this point. Yeah. Uh, I ask you if if our listeners knew of some specific instances of God dealing with nations, and uh, I, I think clearly that he does. 
because how could he say with certainty that certain events are going to transpire in regards to nations if he wasn't going to control the outcome of those events? For instance, here's an example. Babylon, the great the great city and empire of Babylon, uh, at the zenith of their power, Isaiah was prophesying a uh, hundred and fifty years before the fall of Babylon. Uh, well, well, really, Isaiah was prophesying, I guess, sort of as they were coming to power. They hadn't maybe reached their zenith. But uh, 150 years before Babylon fell, Isaiah prophesied it. Isaiah 13, verse 17, beginning, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So Isaiah is prophesying. He's actually prophesying 150 years before Babylon would fall. Babylon was an incredibly powerful empire, and the city of Babylon itself was a greatly fortified city. The ancient historian Herodotus said that the walls of Babylon were 300 feet tall and 75 feet thick. Now, I don't know. That sounds incredible. I mean, that almost sounds like an exaggeration, but they, you could, at the least, yeah. it was strongly fortified. Yeah. And but, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't make a guess. If you were Isaiah, you wouldn't guess Babylon's going to fall. But by by inspiration, he could say that God would bring that nation down. Now, there weren't any uh, any miracles involved in the fall of Babylon. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of interesting. We've read the history of how Babylon fell, the Medes and Persians attacked. They actually diverted the flow of the Euphrates River so that they could come under the wall uh, through the dry riverbed. Uh, but that that was all... By natural event, there wasn't any miracles involved. So how could how could Isaiah say with certainty Babylon's going to fall, and predict it accurately? If God if if God wasn't going to providentially bring it to pass, right? Right. God did. He, he made the prophecy come true. All right. Uh, Jeff and uh, Kent have both referenced Acts seventeen, uh, and that passage very clearly says that God is ruling in kingdoms today. In verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. And notice this, he's made one, made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So there's some providence involved. Well, that there. even suggests national boundaries are under his control. And uh, and there are appointed times. Yeah. And uh, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each and every one of us. For in, in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Um Notice verse 31, because he appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's ordained and has given assurance of this to all by the raising of him from the dead. So uh, God certainly is involved in the things going on in the world. Exactly right. Uh, there's just no doubt that as much as, much as we believe that he intervenes in the affairs of men, individual men, it's clear that he intervenes in the events of nations as well. There's, a, there's an interesting promise to Abraham, we all we often talk about the promises God made to Abraham. Certainly, he, he promised him the land of Canaan. 
But when he made the promise to Abraham, he said, I'm not going to give it to you. Several generations are going to pass before your descendants will come back to this place, and I will give this land to them as a possession. But notice how he says this in Genesis chapter 15, beginning verse 15. Thou shalt go to thy father. He's talking to Abraham. Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, thy seed shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Notice, I want to bring your descendants back. He says, four generations from now, your descendants will come back to occupy this as their possession. Because I'm going to punish the Amorites. But their iniquity is not yet full. In other words, they're wicked and they're getting worse. But it's not time yet for me to bring them down. But I will. And your descendants are going to be the ones who do it. So God knew what the state of that nation of the Amorites was. He, he, he foreknew what was going to happen with them. Notice he was going to react. He was going to react to the, to the, uh, moral, uh, situation there and punish the Amorites. Now, he was going to spare them until he said their iniquity is full and then he would bring them down. And that's what he's done with nation after nation after nation. He, he tolerates a nation until their wickedness becomes so great, and then he brings them down. Something along the lines of what Daniel mentioned in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. Kent references this in his email tonight. Speaking of God, he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Yeah. He removes kings. He raises up kings. Yep. Certainly uh, God's involvement providentially in the affairs of men. Uh, and also and Kent, nations and, and nations, nations yeah. right? And then, uh, Kent and Jeff reference Joseph, how Joseph was, uh, providentially, uh, brought to power by God. Yeah. Uh, Jeff says the account of Joseph's rise to power is an event where I see God working providentially. The book of Esther is an account where God's providence is seen all throughout that account in God's protection of the Jews and how rise and fall of leadership allowed the Jews to return from captivity. Thank you, Jeff, for those comments. Uh, certainly, uh, and that God was involved in uh, Joseph's. Uh, yeah, uh, I had some notes rise. on that too. I think that's a good one. Uh, in Genesis 39, beginning verse one, Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which brought him down thither. Notice, and the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. God was with Joseph, even so much so that Potiphar could tell. There's something special about that. Yeah, good things are happening to him. Uh, and then, of course, he, he, he elevates him to be in charge of his whole household. Uh, other things happened. You know, he got thrown in jail. Potiphar's wife lied about him. He got thrown in jail. He got neglected by the the, the uh Pharaoh's butler who promised to remember him and didn't after he got out of jail. But uh, when when Joseph's brothers finally came down to Egypt, and at this point now, Joseph is like second highest in the nation, second only to Pharaoh himself. I mean, that's how high in, in rank he had elevated. And he makes a statement. Now, I believe he's making this statement by inspiration. He's, he's stating with certainty something here. He says, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And so Joseph there suggests that God was behind that. He he speaks with certainty. Now, whether that was revealed to him, apparently it was for him to be able to speak with such certainty. 
But when you think about that story of Joseph, there wasn't anything miraculous about that either. Okay. Other than the interpreting of, of dreams. The interpreting of dreams was, was uh, supernatural. But Well, and, and Kent points this out in his email. He references Genesis 41, verse 41, for, where Pharaoh says, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So Pharaoh set Joseph up in that position. But notice what Joseph says in 45, verse 8. Uh, See, now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So God was using Pharaoh through his providence to accomplish what he wanted with Joseph. Yeah. Uh, So good comments there. Nick, I think Nick's got one. I might add here that one of the things we see in Joseph, uh, the story of Joseph, is uh, those brothers meant things one way, and God, and it didn't change their free will, uh, but God took what they had done and used it to get his will done. Because verse 19 of uh, Genesis 50 says, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day. Yeah. So that shows us that even when he takes rulers, I think of the example in Isaiah 10 where the Assyrian king, God is going to use him to punish his own people. Yeah. The Assyrian king is saying, you know, I'm the one that's getting all this done. But God says, uh, no, you're the rod in my hand if you yeah. read the whole context. There. Yeah, so, yeah. so we see God is uh, getting his that. stuff done. And he's ruling over things. In, in nations. Yeah, over nations, even while men think that they're the ones doing it. Yeah. And, and their free will is not taken away in that aspect we might mention. I yeah, right. that's right. And you're getting into some complicated things there and how that could be, that God could use them and not interfere with their free will. But he, that's the way it works. We have to take that on faith. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But isn't that interesting that God could use people doing, I mean, he can, he can, Cause good people to, he can use the, 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 the actions of good people to affect his will, but he can even use the, you know, uh, I think somebody was making it, I think Steve Klein in our, uh, community Bible study was making a point about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is best seen in the fact that he can use even the events of sinful men to get done what he wants to do. All right. We need to take a break and get a bullet point, And when we get back, you'll get your thoughts. We need to get into our relationship to all of this that we've discussed. If God's working providentially, does that mean that we don't have anything to do? Or does it mean we shouldn't do anything? Or how does this all work out yeah. with a Christian? Yeah. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. There's some difficult things that God commands us to do. It's hard, for example, to go to a brother or sister who has sinned, look them in the eye, and tell them that they must repent. It would be much easier to simply look the other way. But God says we must go to them, Luke 17, verse 3. It's hard to approach a weak Christian, point out their serious neglect of duty, and urge them to turn back to God. It would be easier to just let it slide. But God says we must speak to him. Galatians 6, verse 1. It's hard to finally withdraw yourself from a disciple who has sinned and refuses to repent. It would be easier to ignore the situation and act as though nothing had happened. But God says such action must be taken. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. 
To all of you who obediently do these difficult things, we express our thanks and admiration. You are truly the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Matthew 5, beginning verse 13. Now, may we say a word to those of you who might be on the receiving end of such actions? We hope you will understand that your brothers and sisters take no delight in doing such things. It gives them no perverse sense of pleasure. There is no morbid gratification that comes from this. Surely you can see that it is truly difficult. Your fellow Christians can think of a thousand things they'd rather be doing. There's absolutely no enjoyment in this, but they do it anyway, because they know two things. One, God commands them to do so, and two, it is in your best interest. So please try to understand this, and if it becomes necessary for someone to come to you in a conscientious effort to serve God and you, please respect them for it. Respect them, appreciate them, love them for their deep concern for your soul. They're doing one of the really hard things that God calls upon his people to do, and love demands it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ. Find out more about us at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And if you'd like a bumper sticker to help us advertise the program... Those are free of charge. If you'll just supply us with your mailing address, send it to questions at collegeview.com, and we'd be glad to provide you with one of those. Uh, I was thinking a couple more examples along the lines we were talking about there just before the break. The idea that God would use wicked nations even to accomplish what he wanted done. And we see that especially in regards to the children of Israel and the nation of Judah when they were taken away in uh, captivity. The the Israelites, the northern kingdom, Israel, taken by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom, Judah, taken by the, the Babylonians. In Second Kings 18, Second uh, Kings 18, verse 11, the king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria. Well, did he carry them away because he was bigger, stronger, meaner, you know? No. It goes on to say, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and would not hear them nor do them. The reason why the king of Syria was able to take them was because God led him, because they had been disobedient. Uh, Assyria, uh, the Syrian empire was a very wicked nation, but God used them to effect his punishment upon Israel. And then... Uh, A hundred years after that, the Babylonians came against Jerusalem and Judah. And this is really plain. And I think you were mentioning this, Josh, a minute ago. Jeremiah 25, beginning verse 8. Therefore says the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send. Notice, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing. So when when the Babylonians came, they were sent by God. Nebuchadnezzar was acting as God's servant in the matter. Uh, they were doing his will. 70,000 some odd captives were taken when, when Nebuchadnezzar came to Judah at the behest of God. He was doing God's work. Uh, he was called God's servant. You know, um, 
the prophet Habakkuk complained about that. Habakkuk complained, how could you use people more wicked than these to punish? Yeah. Uh, Habakkuk 1.13, why dost thou look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why art thou silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? So uh, uh, Habakkuk was basically complaining, this doesn't seem right to me. Using, these wicked nations are, they're worse than, than us. And, and, and God answers, uh, he basically says, well, they're going to get theirs too. Uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 6, shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee and thou shalt be booties for them because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people that shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwelt in them. Basically, God was answering uh, to say, Nebuchadnezzar is going to get his too. You know, don't don't worry about that. But that we we would believe that if we understand that God is ruling in these affairs. He's going to, he might use Babylon, he might use Assyria, but he's ultimately going to judge Babylon and Assyria too, because that's what God does. He judges wickedness. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. You'd like to chime in on the program tonight? All right. Well, um, again, I, I want to go back to uh, the point we were making about individual Christians and God's providence in our individual lives. We don't know. We can't say that that was God working. And I think the only reason that we can say in these Old Testament events that we know it was God's working because He revealed that to us. If we if we didn't have inspired history, if we just had second, if we just had second uh, uh, dairy history, if we just had secular history, is what I mean to say. If we just had secular history uninspired, we would not be able to say God sent Nebuchadnezzar to defeat Jerusalem. The only reason we can say that because there wasn't any miracles involved in the process. It was a war, and Nebuchadnezzar won the war. The reason why we know God made that victory happen was because it's revealed to us. So we don't know. We, we we know God says he rules in the affairs of nations, and we know some specific examples of him ruling in the affairs of nations because he told us so by revelation. But we we believe that he's still doing that, but we can't say with certainty. That's the nature of providence. The problem with us saying for a certainty that something happens is that brings God's wisdom down on our level. And it, it pretends to say that we can understand how God is working, why he's working, and why things are working out the way that they are. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? So God's working in ways that we can't figure out. We do not have the ability. We don't have the intellect to understand how God is working. And so when we try to attribute something definitively to God and his workings, then we have, we're running the risk of uh, making a wrong assertion. But now, okay, now to bring this to the modern day, we are in this big, important election year. And if one candidate or the other wins, is God using that? For, for blessing or cursing of America? In other words, if a certain candidate wins, and a, 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 a lot of people I'm talking to say, if that one particular candidate wins, it's probably God going to u- be, be using that to punish us. Well, we don't know. We couldn't say. 
it's just not it's not within our power to discern that God hasn't he's not he's not revealing things to us by inspiration anymore. And so we can't say with certainty or, you know, whether that would be so or not. We just don't know. It might be we we, uh, we have to be sort of like Mordecai in that it may be uh, that God is working in this way, but we don't know for sure. We don't know. All right. So how do we respond to that? I think that's the time for a break. And when we get back, we'll talk about that. What do we do? If God's working providentially, do we stand the risk of getting in the way of that? Should we just step back and let him work? Should, what are maybe we, we shouldn't vote, or maybe we should vote for this guy or that person. Or What should we do? Should we vote? Should we not vote? Where do you, where do you, how do you, what are we going to I mean, do? Are we in a quandary here? Yeah, maybe, because if he intends to punish America, maybe we're working against his purposes if we vote in a certain way. Or maybe he doesn't want to punish America and he wants us to vote so, so he, he doesn't have to. Yeah, so what are so we going to do? Have we, have we worked ourselves in a total dilemma? We'll talk <laughs> about that when we get back. Don't be aware the Orchard Bible study continues right for this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten. There it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty. There it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. About half of American adults, 49%, play video games on a computer, TV, game console, or portable device like a cell phone. And 10% consider themselves to be gamers. A quarter of all adults, 26%, think most video games are a waste of time. 40% agree that there is a relationship between video game violence and violent behavior. That information is via Pew Research Center. The Word of God says in Ephesians 6, beginning verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, God's providence in the nations, and uh, now how do Christians respond to that? And certainly I think we're going to get to some opinions on uh, on things at this point, and certainly folks are going to have some different opinions one way or the other, but... Uh, I think there are some principles that will guide us through that. Yeah, I think the underlying principle is that one we read earlier from Proverbs 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so if we want things to go well for our country, what would, I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that if, if we became a righteous nation, if, if we made a turn toward righteousness, then it would be good. That would be a good thing. 
You know, uh, the story of the prophet Jonah when he went to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of that great Assyrian empire. The Assyrians were horrible people, just horrible. And, and, but God sent Jonah and of course he went in a roundabout way to get there. But when he went, <laughs> when he got to Nineveh, yeah. the people, it says the people repented at the preaching of Jonah. And so God didn't punish them. Now later he did because they, they returned to their wickedness, but based upon the fact that they made a turn toward what was right, God did not punish them, at least in that moment. Later, years later, they were brought down because they returned to their wickedness. But that would be a, an example of fact, righteousness exalts the nation. So the underlying principle is what we as God's people should be desiring is to see our nation turn toward righteousness. And anything that we can do to help bring that about would be a good thing. We and I, I don't think we would say, you know, we're working against God's purposes. God's purposes is that, that people do righteousness. And so if we help people do righteousness, if we help our nation in, to move in directions of righteousness, I don't think we would say that we're working against God's purposes. God's purpose is for men to live righteously. And so I think we'd be doing the right thing. Any thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah, I don't think we're going to thwart what God has done regardless of what we do, because I think God is the sovereign ruler. And so in our decisions, those are the kinds of decisions that Christians ought to be able to easily make is when you can see what is righteous over against what is unrighteous. We're going to choose the righteous. Yeah. But that is the quandary sometimes in, in the political arena is really who who are we looking at that is righteous yeah. because the people who are in those positions and and the views they hold are, are sometimes promoting they might have one point of view of doing things right and another point going the other way. That's the dilemma, I suppose. That, that is a dilemma as well, yep. You know, but, I, but, you know, for, I was just thinking that, so <clears throat> my neighbor's not a Christian, but if I convert him, if I teach him and convert him, then that would be one more righteous people in the nation. But God wants to punish this nation. Maybe I shouldn't help make more righteous people because that would just make it harder for God. No, no. God says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I, I mean, and if, if I can convert my neighbor and, and that helps move my community and my neighborhood and my state and my nation in a better direction, then that's good. That's, that's all good. I don't think we have to worry that we're working against God and doing that sort of thing. What, what was the brother, Joseph's brother? Was it Reuben that wanted to get him out of the pit? Yeah. And so would Reuben, was Reuben bad to have that desire? Cause God wanted Joseph to rise up to be able to save the Israelites. Was Reuben wrong to want to pull? No, Reuben was right. Reuben was right to say, to condemn his brothers for what they did. Uh, But as we were saying earlier, God was able to use even the evil deeds of the brothers to affect his purposes. Yeah. All right. So Reuben was not wrong to vote for delivering Joseph, even though God's ultimate providence was that Joseph be sent to Egypt. So, yeah, it is uh, it is a. Sometimes difficult thing to to get our ha- our heads wrapped around. We yeah. might say that doing right is always right. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's, that's, and and so that, that ought to be the choices that uh, the servants of God, Christians, that's what they're going to do. Is they're going to the things that we can definitely see that is in the righteous arena. That's what we're going to stand for. Right. And exactly. we need to and we need to do as Greg says. We need to be trying to convert people into the kingdom of of. Uh, of Christ in order because that that's what our goal is in this life and it's not really to uh make one nation above another nation that's not our goal in in this life well and and Steve did an excellent job of putting that in perspective in the second night of our community bible study if you've not downloaded the podcast take a minute and do that you'll want to listen to that because he does 
he frames it up for us that way is that our ultimate goal is to advance the kingdom of God and be pleasing to God, and that's what our focus needs to be. Yeah. I tell you, in addition to the general principle of pursuing righteousness, there's some specific things I think we can do. One of them is to pray. Uh, the scriptures tell us to pray for our governments. First uh, Timothy chapter two, verse one, uh, he says, "I will there. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life with all godliness and honesty." So prayer is certainly something that we can do in regards to helping affect the outcome of our national events we're supposed to pray for our rulers i'm not going to pray for them that they'll do more and more bad stuff so that god will bring more more quickly bring punishment upon us i'm going to pray that they do good things and that god will that god's will will be served i'm not going to pray for for evil i'm going to pray for good right right and so that is a command we need to be you know we talk about what should a Christian do. A Christian must do this. It's a command. Yeah. I, would, I would encourage all Christians right now to be praying about this upcoming election, that right. the outcome of it will be such, whatever it is, whatever the outcome is, it will be such that our nation will move in a more righteous direction. And that we will be able to lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Yeah. That's, what we, that's our goal. Yeah, because based upon the outcome of this election, it may be that we're not able to live a quiet and peaceful life with all God. Maybe they, they start putting restrictions on our religious liberties and so forth. Well, I don't want that. So I'm going to maybe I, I, I need to pray for and maybe vote in such a direction that I think will make it so that we can continue to live our lives peaceably in all godliness now, and honesty. Now, notice the focus of our prayers. It's not uh, we're not going to pray that uh, the economy gets better. Or that health care gets the problem. I sure hope they get solved. that health care thing straightened out. Yeah. No, it's so that we can live a quiet and peaceful yeah. life in all godliness and honesty. That's that's our focus. Yeah, and that and that the four oh one K will get bigger. No, no, no. Oh, oh. No, no. I didn't see that in that verse. <laughs> right, right. Oh, okay. All right, so pray. I th- certainly think Christians ought to be pretty aggressively praying about our nation and and in and, and in regards to this upcoming election specifically. Right, right. Um uh, then, of course, another thing that we've got to do is we've got to live right ourselves. We've got to be setting the right example. Maintaining personal godliness is so important. You know, Jesus said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, very famously, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, uh, are, uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need to be doing that. We need to be letting our light shine uh, showing the showing the right way to others in our in our world in our realm. I mean, I don't have much influence in in Washington D.C. Effectively none, but I can have influence right in my own community, and that's that's what I need to be. I need to be exercising that influence. And if all Christians did more and more, then we'd be doing greater. We underestimate what we can do. Yeah. And Jeff is in the chat room and has sent an email tonight. He says uh, we can let our light shine and teach others about Christ and the wonderful blessings available through Christ. And he also says in the chat room in this dark in this darkness, our lights have a greater chance uh, to shine brighter. Yeah, so so thank you, Jeff, for that, uh, certainly. Yeah, along that same line, Philippians 2.15, be blameless, harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. 
we're supposed to shine as lights in the world, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Well, that sounds like our nation right now, uh, pretty crooked and perverse. What do you do? Keep shining as a light. Yes. Kent says that Christians can have a positive influence on our nation in conjunction with the providence of God by uncompromisingly teaching and defending the truth of God, seeking to lead others to obey the gospel of Christ, having a strong desire to restore unfaithful brethren, and by living a consistent life faithfully committed to the teachings of the scriptures. Kent there is outlining a life of activity, of action, of work in uh, the kingdom of God, and that certainly is our uh, should be our goal as we try to have a positive influence on our nation and those around us. Thank you yeah. again. Uh, Nick, something? Got something? I just, I just think of Paul and, and all of those in the first century and the nation, you know, was being the world power was the Roman government that God had foretold and it brought things to fruition. And when the kingdom was established with wicked rulers of the Caesars, yeah. you got Pilate, you got Felix, you got Festus. And we see they spread the gospel to all the world at that they time. Didn't, so they didn't let a wicked nation stop them. That's right. And that shows that the the theme of Christians would be trying to get the gospel spread because teach all nations and all nations who obey the gospel, you're going to bring peace among those people and you're going to bring more lights in the world. And it's going to have the greatest effect. And, of course, in our own nation or whatever nation we lived in, we'd have to pay our taxes. We'd need to pray for them, whatever nation we lived in. So we see yeah. that being put forth in the Scriptures. And yeah. when Christians argue with one another over politics and get into feuds and spats, and we're, we're harming ourselves yeah. by not It's not about the politics. It's about, it's about serving God faithfully That's and right. maintaining moral righteousness. Josh, did you have a thought? Yeah, I'm thinking where Paul wrote in Romans 13 that, uh, every soul should be subject to the higher powers. Uh, the powers that be are ordained of God. So as far as our physical nation that we live in, the best way we can have an impact is, uh, you know, live the way that we ought to live and, and show respect to yeah. to the government, honor the king. Uh, I think First Peter says, so I mean, that's, yeah. that's the way to, to affect our physical nation. But yes, spiritually, I think you're right. the kingdom of God, yeah. yeah I think you're right. So, real quickly, so pray, maintain Personal godliness, one of the points I had in my notes was guard your family, protect your family. Uh, Again, I can't do much about what's going on in Washington, D.C., but I can do something about what's going on under the roof of my house. Yes. I can I can I can guard my own family. I can bring them up uh, to love God and to and to seek to do his will, you know. I've, sometimes we feel powerless, and, and we are in regards to some aspects of this question. But in regards to things that go on, on under the roof of my own house, I can have tremendous influence there, and I need to. You know, we, we as, as uh, husbands and fathers, we need to have the conviction that Joshua had, Joshua twenty four fifteen famous statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There wasn't any doubt about that. It was definite. He was going to make it so. He drew a line, yeah. and uh, and he set the expectations, and he he was he separated himself from those who weren't going to. And we got yeah. to stop flirting around with the world, and stop letting the world into our families and our household, and draw a line and say it doesn't. It's not that's not going to fly here. We're serving the Lord. Yeah. Look at Noah. Things weren't as aren't as bad as they were in Noah's day, and Noah had three boys that. Uh, and he, and, he, and he saved them. He saved they, them. they got saved, yeah. Or we got saved from the flood. Uh, real quickly, uh, use your voice, use your vote, speak up for what is right. 
Psalm 119, verse 46, I will speak of thy testimonies before kings and will not be ashamed. I will not be ashamed of thy testimony. I will speak it even before kings. Well, that's what we got. We got to stand up. We should make no apologies for our stand for moral truth and righteousness. And and in our day and time, and even in regards to the upcoming election and so forth, I I really think that Christians need to let their positions be known on on questions like abortion and homosexuality, same sex marriage, that sort of thing. Here's here's one of the ways which we make uh, God's testimonies known. Not don't be ashamed. Don't be able. Don't be ashamed to say. Abortion is murder. Same-sex marriage is an abomination. Don't be ashamed to say that, and then and 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 do what you can to get other people to accept that reality. Teach it, speak of it, vote it, those kind of things. All right, Jared in the chat room says it's arrogant to think that our actions may subvert the plans of God. And Mike in Ohio says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and come down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James 1.17. So thank you for those good comments tonight. Well, we are out of time. Um, we uh, certainly could go on farther. It, certainly this is a, a deep subject and an in-depth subject. Speaking of the providence of God, uh, I think it's on the minds of a lot of people. And again, you know, that question keeps coming up. Do you think God's going to use this election to to punish us, to bring us down? I don't know. I don't know. But there's not much I can do about that. But what I can do is keep doing what I'm supposed to do. And I think that's, you know, uh, Steve Klein, uh, again, we encourage people to listen to that, uh, to his messages in the community Bible study, still on the homepage at collegeview.com. But basically, you know, people all worked up about how bad things are in our in our nation. But he said, you know, in the kingdom of God, things are going good. Yeah. You know, good things are happening in the kingdom of God, and we can be, we can take great confidence in that. And uh, Nick, you referenced a time when things were very bad for Christians with the leaders of the world at the time. God protected Christians and provided for them, and He'll provide for us regardless of how bad things get here. And, that, in this and world. that may not be, you know, it may not be as we said, you know, uh, our, our economy may get worse, our, our standard of living may get worse. But but spiritually, God protects his own. Yeah, there may be physical persecution as a result of this election. It's a very distinct possibility, but uh, things will be okay. You know, the gospel was spread when the church was being persecuted. And sometimes maybe, you know, when we say, well, you know, we can't get people to come. When persecutions come, people start looking for relief from that type of stuff. And, yeah. you know, you know, those kind of things will actually get people thinking about the life hereafter. Yeah. When things are going well, you know, nobody's worried about I got everything I want right now. I don't need anything else. Yeah. Josh? Yeah, I just think that at the end of the day, we can only control, uh, you know, what we can do. we got to leave the rest up to God. And so as long as we're doing what's right, I believe he's going he's gonna to take care of us. Hey, that's a, that's a stress reliever in the these uh, election year uh, goings on is for us to have confidence that God's going to provide. Exactly right. And we don't have to necessarily... Be plugged into Fox News 24-7, right? That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, good discussion tonight. Yeah, yeah, unplugged Fox News would be a good measure for some people. Read your Bible, yeah. and that'll be a lot more comforting. Yeah. yeah. All right. Dad, thanks for your discussion. Thanks, Jake. Thanks to Josh and Nick for being here and for your comments. And thank you for joining us. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.